is just giving you a little bit of introduction to each of these amazing people up here. Um, so you can kind of just know who they are and where they're coming from a little bit. Okay, so first, the person in this room who needs no introduction is Barb Steffens. But if you don't know Barb, first of all, I'm so sorry about that. Secondly, uh, let me just tell you a little bit about her. Barb has a PhD in counselor education. She's a licensed professional clinical counselor for how many years now? 1991. As long as I have been alive. There you go. That is the year I was born. <laughs> um, so 29 years. Wow. Okay. So after years of experience um, actually counseling, mainly um, being a teacher, authoring, Barb has kind of shifted in this season of time to uh, her, main, her main professional kind of like assignment, if you will, is to actually be a counselor and developer of other counselors to help form and, and raise them up. Um, her area of specialization is trauma, whether that is childhood trauma or adult trauma. And little known fact, some, some of you guys might know Barb but not known this. She is literally, I, I don't think this is an exaggeration to say, world-renowned for her pioneering work in the field of sexual betrayal trauma. And what this means is someone who's been uh, experienced repeated infidelity in a committed relationship. She's written a book, she speaks conferences all over, she co-wrote a book, she's speaking in conferences all over the world about um, how someone can heal from being in a, in a committed relationship where they've experienced repeated infidelity. So it's amazing to have Barb here. Her and her husband have been members of the church since pretty much the very beginning. They're leaders in various capacities. Um, Steve's amazing. And uh, really quick though, Barb, tell us about your family, because family's so important. Okay, well, Steve is my husband. And this July will be our 48th wedding anniversary. Come on. I know. We say we got married when we were 10, which is not exactly true. So I have two adult daughters, uh, two sons-in-laws that are a lot of fun, and then an amazing almost 11-year-old grandson. And he gets spoiled a lot. A lot. <laughs> As he should. Sweet. As he should. Okay, so Barb, love you. Thank you for being here. This is Carla Tolbert, everyone. Give it up for Carla. Just come on. Trust me. All day, you're going to be writing down what Carla said, okay? So Carla is a really cool, is a new friend of mine. There's a really cool story how we actually were connected and how we met. Um, but for right now, let me just tell you, she's inspiring to me. Um, she is a doctoral candidate and is writing her dissertation on mindfulness right now. She is a licensed professional clinical counselor at Compass Point Counseling Services. Her husband, Dale, I mentioned earlier. But tell us a little bit more about your family. Carla. Sure. Good morning, everyone. It's good to meet you and good to be here with you. My husband, of course, is Dale Tolbert, and um, this month we'll be married 19 years. <clears throat> we have three children that we share. I have two stepchildren <clears throat> and one biological son, and I have one beautiful grandson, nine-year-old grandson. Come on. And there's, yeah, awesome. Thanks again for being here, Carla. You don't know me or us, but you did it. That's amazing. That's so brave. Nick Hunter, come on. <laughs> so Nick and I have been friends since we were seven years old or 10 years old, something like that. Um, but Nick is also a licensed professional counselor. Oh, he is a licensed professional counselor. He has his own private practice called the Peace Well, but he also uh, works at Rivertown Wellness, which I always call River Tree. 
Um, but him and his family have been part of your Northwest since the very beginning days. His parents are instrumental leaders in the church, a mother and father of the church, no doubt. Um, and Nick is a leader in various capacities in the church, worship, other things as well. But Nick, tell us about your family a little bit. Yeah, so my wife, Jocelyn, and I have been married almost four years. Wow. And we uh, recently welcomed our beautiful daughter, Talitha, into the world. So she's three months, or almost four months old now. Um, They'll be here second service. So, yeah. And most people know my parents, Jim and Karen Hunter. Um, Yeah, we've been a part of this church for a while. So it's a pleasure to be here. Yeah. Thank you, guys. I'm so glad you're all here. They're all people that are wealth of wisdom. My heart is that, with this morning, is that we would uh, steward our emotional health at a new level. I'm sure there's several people in the room right now who have never gotten the privilege to actually have a a counseling appointment or sit down with a therapist. Well, after this morning, you can kind of say you have, okay? But um, that's been a huge part of my life. Every single month, I have a counselor I see that I process life with and talk to. And uh, it's just been a game changer for me as a, as a husband in all, in all kinds of ways. Um, my wife would be like, not quite as much of a game changer as I like, but <laughs> nonetheless. So anyways, I just want us to get inside the minds of some professionals this morning, get some really amazing wisdom. Um, so let me pray that we're going to start. Yeah, Holy Spirit, we just acknowledge and welcome you as the counselor right now. You're, you're an advocate, helper, counselor to us. So I just pray a, a release of your presence in the room right now. You're already here. You've been moving, but we just say more, God. We ask for healing. We ask for breakthrough. We ask for awakening. And I just pray right now for a disarming of our hearts, God. Let us be vulnerable and open towards you. And right now, I just silence the voice of the evil one and shame and all that junk that wants to... Wants to um, hurt us. I just release uh, the ability for everyone in the room right now to take thoughts captive this morning from the devil, but to hear God's voice as he leads us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so I'm going to try and talk less, but I need to talk a little bit more before we get started. Um, Several weeks ago, Nick, Carla, and I, or Nick, Carla, Barb, and I were hanging out just prepping for this panel, and Barb actually kind of challenged me about something I was saying. And then Carla, like, double teamed on me with Barb and started challenging me. And it turns out they were right and I was wrong, okay? <laughs> and what they, what they shared with me that morning has really impacted the sermon series we've been doing and impacted how I think. And I think it's really good context for the rest of the conversation this morning. So before we go any further, um, Carla, will you just open that up? What we were talking about with how we name emotions, what we actually call emotions, and then Barb, chip in whenever you want to. Sure. So the conversation was about negative and positive emotions. And uh, what Barb and I, what we were saying is that um, we think it's less helpful to label emotions that way because emotions are just kind of indicators of your perceived state, so where you think you are. And even an emotion that you call a positive one or a healthy one can lead to bad behavior. For instance, if you're feeling a lot of happiness or joy because, say, you just got your bachelor's degree or you just passed a test and you're feeling really good, but then you go out and you drink a six-pack or you get wasted, right? And then you, 
get into an accident or you get into a fight or you get hurt, that's what we normally would call a positive emotion but led to unhealthy behavior. Likewise, if you were feeling very sad or even suicidal, which is, you know, or homicidal, which are some of the worst emotions that we can experience, but your behavior was to then go and seek help, mm. then that's a, what we would call a negative feeling that led to a good outcome. Wow. So we're just being careful about how we label the emotions. They're kind of like the indicators in your car on your dashboard. The oil light comes on, the engine light comes on. It just tells you, check in, something's going on. Maybe not be so quick to label them. So good. You want to say I was just going to say they, they provide information for us. They tell us how we're doing on the inside, and then they can um, kind of prompt us to do something with that. So pay attention to them. Be curious about them. They're not our enemies, but they can become things that kind of hold us back or hold us down. But they're good indicators if we pay good attention to them. Mm. So. It's important to not call them positive and negative because that kind of like gives them, it, it boxes them in or like, can you like, yeah, fill that out more. It was amazing examples, but please continue. Yes. And, and what we tend to do with negative emotions is what push them away. Mm. Right. So like Barb said, we need to pay attention because it, it's just telling you something about you and that's okay. So if we think about God, you know, God had times where he got really angry, times when he was really upset. I mean, the emotions that God, that the Father God went through with the children of Israel, I mean, my goodness, at one point he said, I'm going to divorce you. I'm so upset, right? So wow. God expresses his, his emotions. Jesus expresses his emotions. And so, as was said earlier, they were put in us. They're not our enemies, but they are indicators, as Barb said, to tell us where we are. So we, we pay attention to them. We don't necessarily follow their lead, and that's where it gets tricky. Because we can, if we feel anxious, like someone is after us, we feel paranoid, it doesn't mean that someone's after us, right? It doesn't mean that someone's chasing us down or someone's out to get us. But it does tell us that we feel that way. And so to notice, you know, I'm feeling this way. I'm feeling like so-and-so is out to get me. Doesn't mean it's true. Doesn't mean we act on it. But it does mean that we give a little bit of attention. Then mm. we check in and find out what's going on here. Mm. I think another thing with the positive-negative kind of connotation is if I think something's negative, then I automatically think it's bad. Mm. And I should not have it. And if I should not have it, I'm not going to pay attention to it. I'm going to cut off that part of wow. myself. And then really probably blocking something that Jesus has created in me to give me good information about myself. So sometimes in faith communities, not this one, we <laughs> will have this, well, I can't think that way. I can't feel that way. So I won't mm. and I ignore it. And pretty soon I'm, I'm really suffering emotionally because wow. I've not attended to it. Wow. I feel like we all just need to lay on the ground right now. Just be like, Lord. <laughs> That's so good. Nick, do you want to jump, chip in on this at all? I was just thinking to kind of drive home the car analogy. It, you know, if, if you see those gauges as like a negative thing and ignore them, you know, mm. like my gas is on E, like, no, I hate when that happens. I'm going to ignore it, ignore it, ignore it. Eventually, you're just going to run out. You know, you're going to be stranded. Um, and so I, 
I think it's totally true that, uh, you know, if you just are automatically cutting something off, then you're never going to address it, and it's probably just going to get worse, and you'll, you'll address it someday, but it'll be kind of in a point of crisis rather than earlier on. Wow. All right, so that's good context for us to be considering is that emotion, a, a, a healthy perspective of emotions is that they're comfortable and uncomfortable, and we want to not shun our emotions. Yeah. We don't want to push them away. We want to investigate them. Mm-hmm. And then we as Christians would say, with God. We want to investigate our emotions with the Holy Spirit. So whoever wants to can field this, this first question that I kind of came up with. From an outside perspective, from like a professional perspective, what is happening when we're experiencing, and I, I want to dive into like anxiety and fear a little bit here, okay? When we're feeling anxious or fearful, what is happening to us? Physiologically, emotionally, what, what's, what's behind the scenes happening there? I would say in kind of a general sense, your body is trying to keep you alive. Uh, you know, you're, you, those, those things inside of you are, are trying to help you out in some way. Um, and like Carla said, it, it could be some perceived threat that's not actually there, in which case it's, it's kind of like, okay, this isn't super helpful right now. Um, but on the other hand, it could be something helpful. You, you could actually be anxious about something that is a true threat in your environment, and that causes you to be a little more you know, watchful and, and safe. And so... Um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's kind of a very broad, mm. um, but, but generally, it's just kind of like, yeah, your body's trying to look out for you. All right, so, you say something? Well, I was just going to say, sometimes um, anxiety is, like Nick said, kind of a friend, because it gives us information that maybe I'm not feeling very safe right now. But also, anxiety can be a memory. It can be, I've not felt safe for a really long time, so my sense of potential threat is maybe higher than someone else's because something bad did happen to me. And so now I do have to be a little bit, or I am more alert, maybe beyond what I need to Mm. be. But it's just how I have managed and coped with some memory of not being safe. So Mm. it can kind of take on a life of its own rather than being responsive to what's going on right here and right now. Mm. Yeah, I think um, another way to say it is that your fight or flight response or freeze is overactive and it's Mm. responding to um, some type of environmental cue and it's overreacting. So again, to check in, not to, you know, berate yourself and say things like, I shouldn't feel this way, there's nothing wrong with you, what's wrong with you, you shouldn't feel like that, that was in the past. But to recognize, like Barb said, something maybe did happen bad to you. And Mm. so there's a memory there that says, watch out. And often anxiety to me is, is saying, am I okay? Am I okay, am I safe? And so to respond to that and to say, first of all, am I safe? And my first, you know, uh, question would be to anyone who feels unsafe on the inside is to say, first, am I physically safe? So I look around me. Is is there a Mack truck coming down the road? Is someone coming at me with a gun? Because then I'm not safe. Then I do need to uh, do something, right? But if I'm physically safe, 
that that's that's I don't know. If you're physically safe, you've got a chance. Put it that way, because you're not going to die. Yeah. So I have life. <laughs> so as long as my life is not threatened, okay, everything else I can deal with because I am going to live. So when I'm feeling overwhelmed or like something's going to happen to me, or you're having a panic attack, is to ask yourself, first of all, am I physically safe? And there's mm. methods that you can do to kind of check in with the current environment. And then if, if you are physically safe, okay, now what's going on with me? What else is going on? Why am I feeling this way? Where have I felt this way before? Why do I feel threatened? And it's okay if I do. So it's really important not to shame yourself. Wow. Not to say, why do you feel this way? Or even for Christians, it's particularly difficult because we shouldn't feel that way, right? Mm. And God is here and he's our protector and we just had that wonderful worship. And why do you feel this way? But that, all of that is very, very unhelpful. So you want to treat yourself in a very self-compassionate way and say, I know. I know we just had that wonderful worship. I know I just heard that wonderful word, but I still feel anxious. What's going on inside? sit down and check in with yourself, and, and it's okay. Emotions are not your enemy, and they won't destroy you, and they won't kill you. So it's okay, even though they may feel that way, they're really, they're, they're really, they're, they're really, they're not threatening, they won't take your life. Wow. So I wanna, I wanna talk a little about panic attacks and panic, but that's so good. So it really sounds like a big thing you guys are pulling out is that shame, will prevent us from processing our emotions in a healthy way. And that's kind of like one of the core beliefs we need to have is that that's why it's so important that we don't believe our emotions are bad or good or positive or negative, but that we look at them as indicators because you don't get ashamed that you're running out of gas. You don't get ashamed that you need an oil change. You're like, oh, that's what this car needs. So it's the same thing for us. Cool. It's really helpful. Um, I hope you guys are texting in questions, okay? I think that something I'd love to hear you guys speak about a little bit is panic attacks. And here's my context for this question. That is an, to me, I've always thought, oh man, that's just pathetic. Like that's kind of been my background thought. Is a panic attack? Like, oh my gosh, like. But then I kind of grow up and I have more stress in my life and I'm like, oh my gosh, I've probably had a panic attack before. <laughs> I have two tiny kids and a wife, like I've definitely probably had a panic attack. So I think it'd be helpful if we understood more like what constitutes a level of panic, how should we think about panic and anxiety when it's going into overload? And then maybe, if you don't wanna talk about that a bunch, that's okay, but then we could go to how do we handle those moments? when we're experiencing a ton of anxiety, a ton of panic, like a surge of it? Well, just as kind of um, a quick like overview on what like panic attacks are, um, because a lot of people actually end up, uh, if it's like really severe, sometimes people think they're having a heart attack. Like that, that's kind of a common thing that people might call 911 for. Um, but basically panic attacks are when your body starts to go into that fight or flight mode and things start kicking on without you even trying to make it happen. And so this is actually a really good thing when you need it. Um, so like we've kind of been referring to, if there's an actual threat, you don't want to have to think about how to get out of the way. Um, like Carly's example of a truck coming your way. 
you step out onto the road and there's a truck coming your way, you don't want to think like, hmm, how fast is that truck going? Is this going to hurt? <laughs> like, am I wearing any protective gear? Should I get out of the way? You just jump out of the way because your body does that. And that's God designed our bodies to do that. Thank you, Lord. Um, right, yeah, yeah. And so that's actually like a different part of your brain, um, kind of more the inner part of your brain that, that kicks those things on in your body. Um, it, it just kind of goes past the logical part of your brain. Now that becomes a problem when you're not in a life or death situation. And so these things that happen in your body, your heart starts beating faster. That's to get more blood for your body. You know, you start breathing heavily to get oxygen to your body. You start becoming really uh, vigilant, um, looking around. And again, that's if, if there were an actual threat, those things would be helpful. Um, and, and there's a ton of other physical symptoms of panic, which is, which is really what uh, constitutes a panic attack. Um, and it's those things that are good in the right context but if, you know, if you're just driving on your way to work, you don't want your body to go into fight or flight mode. But that sometimes happens um, for a variety of different reasons. Okay, so we can think of a way we can know I'm experiencing an inordinate amount of panic or just a lot of panic is do I feel like I'm kind of getting close to fight or flight mode? Am I feeling that? So that's a good thing for us to kind of have as a mental check mark. Um, what should we do when we're feeling that way? Yeah, so I'll just say really quick, and, and, and then they can hop in. But um, the, my kind of first go-to tip for having, when having a panic attack is... Uh, just something called grounding, which is basically becoming more sort of aware of your physical present moment. Because again, panic uh, is telling, is like your brain going into sort of hyper gear thinking that there's a threat. If you can become physically aware of your surroundings, just, um, and Carla can probably talk way more about this through mindfulness, um, but, but just by Thinking, you know, noticing things in the room, thinking about things that you can hear, feel, um, all those physical sensations ground you in the present moment. That's good. Um, meditation is, is, is so good for this. Just being aware of the present moment takes you out of that wild space, alarm, 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 and it brings you back into, oh, I'm actually safe. I'm actually going to be okay. Um, so that's, that's kind of like my first go-to step. I just want to add one quick thing. When you're in panic, you're someplace else. And when you go through this process of being present or grounded, you're here. Mm. So a way to deal with panic is to do whatever it takes for you to be right here, right now, rather than in that place where your brain is going. So, yeah, notice the room, notice sounds, notice smells, notice what it feels like to sit in a chair. And those kinds of things can help 
calm you down. Mm. Sometimes another thing that happens when someone's experiencing a lot of panic is then they start to have panic attacks thinking that I might have a panic attack. <laughs> so it's, it's kind of like there's this pattern here and I'm afraid to, I'm going to have one yeah. and then it gets triggered or there's some kind of physical experience and you say, oh, that's what happens when I'm panicked mm. and then you can all of a sudden go into a panic attack. Wow. So it's really important if this is happening for you, talk to someone about it so that they can help you with tools to manage it that's unique to you and what you need. That's so good. Before you go, Carla, I just want to pray really quick. I just felt like God said to me that a lot of us, myself included, don't believe we have the ability to process our emotions. Hmm. So let me just pray really fast. Um, Lord, I, uh, I just call that out as a lie. That's a lie. You have designed us well and amazing. You gave us the Holy Spirit to help us, any of us brilliant minds. So I just bless everyone in this room right now. I break the lie off of you that you can't process your emotions and you need to be fearful of them. And I release uh, confidence from God to process. In Jesus' name, amen. Carla, hit us up more here with mindfulness and how to do this. Yeah, well, I, well just with the grounding, absolutely, and breathe, right? Breathe. Uh, I, I, can't over, I can't overstate how important that is. It's getting oxygen to your brain. And if you think, you know, Holy Spirit, the root word is pneuma, and you think breath. Mm. And just take him in. Just breathe. Breathe. That's good. And, um, and then the grounding, as they both have said, you know, the five-finger method. Five things that I can see, four things that I can hear, I think. Um, three things that I can smell, taste, all of that. And, and like Barb said, it brings you to the present because when you're having a panic attack, you're in your head. And it, it's, it's a place that, that's being created and it's a place of fear. So come back to where you really are. Often the present and wherever you are in the moment is a lot less scary than where you think you are. Mm. And if you would check in in any given moment, just try this, check in in any given moment, most times you are really okay. When you think your life is not okay, if you ask yourself, am I okay right now? Most times it's like, yeah, I'm, re I'm really okay. But because we live so much of our lives in the past or worrying about the future, especially if you struggle with anxiety, you're not okay, your life's not okay. My past was horrible, my future does, is bleak, and we miss the present moment. Wow, this has been really helpful. We could talk about this for another hour probably. <laughs> Go to a counselor. Um, <laughs> so I want to shift gears and talk about trauma a little bit. And that's a little bit of a spooky word, but it's just a word and it's just a reality. So I want to demystify it some. And I actually already have a good question from the audience about trauma. But before I ask that, Barb, will you just talk to us about what is trauma? Do sure. we all have it? Trauma is basically a wound. If you think of someone who's had a traumatic physical injury, a car accident, something like that, it's a gaping wound. It's something that needs immediate attention. So if a trauma occurs to us, it's something that usually kind of invades, it blindsides us. We weren't thinking about it, we weren't planning on it. It just happens. Um, some traumas are very individual. It happens just to you. Some tra traumas are much more um, community-oriented 
or right now we have one called COVID, which for a lot of people is a global kind of trauma. Mm. I'm calling it like a trauma soup. And it's um, impacting people in different ways. For some, it doesn't feel traumatic for you, but there's just kind of this sense of, are we safe? When is this gonna be over? What am I looking for? I don't know what this is about. And so that raises anxiety, and that can be traumatic to a society, and, and I think to our world. What we're finding during COVID is that a lot of people who already had some kind of emotional difficulty or prior wounding, all of that stuff is coming back up and feeling even worse for them. Mm. So there's an increase like in abuse and violence, those kinds of things. And that, that's a pretty common trauma response. So, but just think of trauma as something that invades and it puts us into this place of being overwhelmed. God created us amazingly, but I don't think he created us for trauma. Trauma is something we have done, right? It's something we brought into the world. And so our brains go on overload, our body goes on overload, and all we know is I don't feel safe right now, and I need to feel safe right now. And it can bring about symptoms of anxiety, which we've talked about, depression, this thing called flashbacks, and that's that feeling of it's happening right now, even though it's over with, and can take a person to a different place. So a lot of things we talked about in terms of helping with panic can really help mm. with trauma. But anyone can experience it. We think about it a lot with people who've experienced combat, first responders, um, a cancer diagnosis, sudden death of a loved one, all those kinds of things can create trauma in our bodies and in our minds. And then the area that I do a lot of work on is that, that infidelity and betrayal. Sometimes the worst trauma is when it happens in a relationship with someone that we believe this person has my back and would never hurt me. And so then when that occurs, that increases that mm. sense of not feeling safe, even with my safe person. Wow. And it just occurs to me that I think one of the major, a very, I think you listed this, but sexual trauma for an individual themselves. Right. So, I mean, that's just, I think, rampant in our yeah. society. Yeah, as adults or as children, children experience trauma in terms of child abuse, sexual abuse, a lot of really horrible things, neglect, poverty can be traumatic. So there's a lot of ways. And so if you're traumatized as a small child, what happens too when you're traumatized, you start to figure out, well, how can I make sure this never happens again? And so one of those beliefs can be, well, if I was different, if I acted different, if I was good, this bad thing wouldn't happen to me. So we start to incorporate beliefs trying to make sense of why did this happen? And those beliefs can be absolutely built on lies, but they feel totally true because they've been born out and mm -hmm. well, this did happen to me, that must mean I deserved it. Mm -hmm. There's something wrong with me. And once we start to have those kinds of beliefs going on, that really feeds into senses of shame, um, not good enough, ineffective, all of those kinds of things. And that leads to some of the more uncomfortable emotions mm. out of our beliefs. So one of the, the biggest works we do with people who are traumatized is around what beliefs did they start to take mm. in and how do we start to look at those and change those and have those more in line with 
who God says we are. That's where the real healing is. Come on. But we can't start there. You start with what happened, yeah, so good. what did they take in, yep. and then what is truth. And I think that's such an error in Christianity, especially the charismatic tradition, is to not be willing to acknowledge trauma and skip right to beliefs. But how do you heal unless you see reality? I mean, so I want to transition into, uh, because God's all about reality. He's not scared of reality. We think God's scared of reality. He's not. He was right there. (laughs) He was there. He was there. Oh, man, so good. All right, let's go into uh, the questions from the audience. I I want to pray as we go into that. Mm -hmm. So, Lord, I just bless everyone in this room right now. No doubt there's people that maybe are experiencing a flood of emotions or experiencing a trigger right now. I just release peace to your heart in Jesus' name. Thank you, God, that you're moving, that you're faithful to heal and to bring us into wholeness. And so if you're just struggling right now in this moment, I just bless you to, if to, um, you're safe, and I bless you, Holy Spirit, invade this space. And we bind the evil one's voice in Jesus' name. Amen. So someone asked this question. Are you able to turn your emotions back on after you have turned them off for so long because of trauma. They, this person said specifically abuse. Is that possible? Yes. But it's probably going to be very slow and careful. And if you believe you're experiencing your emotions being shut down or muted, it's going to be really important for you to find safe people to start coming back to alive with. That sounded really awkward. But so that it's a safe space when you start to feel those emotions Mm. again. Because probably when you start doing that, some of those are going to feel pretty intense. And you might be afraid you're not sure how you're going to manage it. So having safe people, a safe person, trained counselor there with you, guiding you through that process would be the safest way to go. But yes, it's absolutely possible because that's how God created us. He wants us to be alive. Come on. But there's a reason you feel dead. But work through that with someone to help you come back to that. So good. Carla, that, that's amazing. I'm going to keep going. Is that, yeah. is that good? Sorry. Um, here's a question that I think you'd be great to answer. What are some recommendations, practical recommendations, for mental and emotional health first aid that you can use to help someone who's experiencing anxiety, depression, or, or panic. So like as a friend, when it's revealed to me that someone's experiencing that or when I'm around them they're experiencing that, how can I be helpful in that moment? If someone's experiencing stress, anxiety, panic. Sure, well I think as a friend, be there to listen. Hmm. Um, it's important to be non-judgmental, be a non-judgmental friend, and um, not be a preachy friend that tells you how to feel, not be the type of friend that points out how great your life is and you should be happy, but just to be someone to be empathic and to listen um, and encourage. And so as a friend of someone who's suffering, I would just be there to, again to listen and to um, 
kind of reflect what you hear them saying. Mm. If you, you know, use your reflective skills. This is what I think I hear you saying about your life right now. Those are very powerful, some basic skills that counselors use, I think you could use with your friend. Um, listening, empathy, reflecting back, uh, things that you hear, and then encouraging them to, to take it a step further and to get help. Mm. Can I make a shameless plug? Yeah. <laughs> All right, I wanna plug the Barnabas Coach training, mm. because in that training- It's a class we do here at the church. That's a class we have here, and the basis of that training is learning how to be with someone and to reflectively listen so that then you can help them move forward and take next steps. So it's a great training and take it. <laughs> Come on. All right, Nick, I think this is a great question for you. What would be your advice for dealing with situations that have previously caught, what would be your advice for how to respond when you're being triggered emotionally? Yeah, so like, if you've gone through something that was really tough and then you're in that situation again and you're or something triggered makes you by it. Or something makes you feel like you are. Right, right, yeah. Um, I mean, to really hit home back what I said before about grounding, it, you know, anytime you're being triggered again, it's like uh, your brain's sort of trying to bypass the sort of executive functioning, the logical problem-solving part of your brain it's just kind of like, whoop, we'll go to the just react part of your brain. And so by grounding, you settle that part down and the logical part sort of comes back online. And, and that's why, um, you know, sometimes in traumatic situations, it almost seems like you're a bit like out of reality. It might feel like it's almost in slow motion. You may not be able to like remember a lot from events like that. Um, that's because those parts of your brain that make those memories, that orient you in time and space, those have been kind of like powered down a bit uh, to allow your body to react. So, so I would say, first of all, if, if you're being triggered, um, just do, do the grounding stuff uh, and, and, and be able to settle yourself down. Um, but another big thing is just, um, you know, don't, don't avoid those situations for the rest of your life. At, at, at some point, uh, at some point, there is a step of faith that says, I'm gonna get, you know, gonna get back on the horse again. You know, gonna do this thing that maybe I failed at before, or maybe I was hurt in before. At some point, there's like a step, you know, go with Jesus, step into it in faith, and don't let that fear drive you for the rest of your life. Yeah. So good, Nick. I, um, when it comes to unwanted emotions, I, I think of a metaphor of um, the unwanted house guest. So say something happens to you, say you lose your job and um, you, you get some feelings that come with it, what you know, we normally would call negative feelings. So maybe those feelings are anger and uh, sadness, loneliness, say you broke up with a boyfriend or girlfriend, and there are just some emotions that you know you're going to feel. So you treat them like unwanted house guests, and you are mm. a kind and compassionate host, so you would never be rude to your unwanted house guests, even though you don't want them to come, right? 
So, um, so here's the thing. If you can say to an, uh, um, an unwanted emotion, no, nope, not going there, and it goes away, good. Go for it. Go for it. That, that's the easiest way, right? Just, you know, oh, I know what this is. This is fear, not going there, goodbye. And you can move on with your life. That's perfect. But often it doesn't happen that way. So you've got these unwanted guests that show up at your house, and uh, you don't want them, but you know they're coming, right? You know you're going to feel this way because this is the way you feel when you feel rejected, when you lose something, when things happen to you. So another perspective is to just let them in. Just open up the door and say, I knew you were coming. There's this old song called Good Morning Heartache. And if you're old enough, which I don't know if anybody in here is, but 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 it's one the, of my favorites. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's my ringtone. It's like a Billie Holiday song. I mean, it's pretty old, but yeah, but it it just kind of says, you know, good morning. Here you are. I knew you'd be here. So so to say, okay, here you are. I know you're going to be here because I've gone through this thing, and to welcome them in and to check in with them. So if you follow me with this metaphor, real quickly. So you just let this in, let this sadness in. So you're, you, you're, you are your house or your being is your house. You just kind of welcome it in. Have it take a seat, take a seat, sadness. Take a seat, loneliness. You're an old friend, I knew you'd come because I just lost my job, just broke up with my boyfriend and you always come at these times. Here you are, what can I do for you? You just sit with it, just like I'm sitting here with them, right? You just take a seat, what's going on? And you just listen. Well, You just listen. You listen, and then you ask yourself, what can I do? What do I need to do right now? You don't fight it, you don't throw it out the front door, you don't even cast it out, I would say. If you couldn't get rid of it the first time, it, it, it's got a purpose is the way I look at it. So you, you, you sit with it, you check in with it, what's going on, and you ask yourself, what do I need to do for myself right now? What can I do? And if you can do something, then you get up and do it. That might be take a nap, that may be apply for a new job, that might be get with your girlfriend, that might be take a trip, it can be anything, it can be a small thing, it can be go brush your teeth. But what is the thing that I need to do? And you just kind of allow that thing to sit there. You let it hang in there with you because, because basically it's just a part of yourself that's telling you I'm afraid, I'm scared, this has happened to me before, what are you gonna do about it? So there's this self-assurance, this self-compassion that says, okay, I hear you, I see you, I'm listening to you, I'm listening to you, loneliness. I, I hear you, I know you're scared, I know you are, I'm scared too but we're gonna be okay. What do I need to do for myself now? So it's just a different approach to, to manage um, unwanted emotions. I love it, it's so excellent. It really just, to me, it, it's so well said, first of all, thank you, Carla. But also it just puts language to, this is how you process. It gives us a mental picture, uh, something to shoot for. This is what it's like to process negative, sorry, uncomfortable emotions. <laughs> this, is, this is a picture for us. So good. Um, I've asked Barb, I have, a, I have a last question to ask Barb to kind of close things out, but before, I want to actually answer one of the questions from the audience, and I'd be really remiss if I didn't. 
How can you tell the difference between a deliverance need and a mental health need? And this is a great question because we are just, we are not um, ignorant of the fact that there is a spiritual realm. And there's demons and there's angels, there's good, there's bad. Like that is all there. If we ignore that, we're going to be helpless. Um, and what I would say is this to, to that question. How do you tell the difference between a deliverance need and an emotional health need? I'd say you can't tell the difference immediately. You need to ask questions. And I would even propose this. I don't know who's going to hate this answer, but <laughs> demons and emotions are different things. Demons can empower uncomfortable emotions. They can rev them up and animate them and color them and make them just but a demon is not the same thing as an emotion. When someone gets a demon cast out of them, they're going to be able to process that emotion in a godly, healthy, whole way now. So maybe there is a spirit that's behind the anger in your life, but you're still going to experience anger even after that demon is cast out of you. You're just going to experience it in a more healthy way. That makes sense. So there's the need for deliverance. That's part of healing. There's demons in people, um, and we need them casted out. I've had demons cast out of me before, and it's helped me. But if, if feeling an uncomfortable emotion and having a demon are not the same thing. So we should probably preach more about that, and we will. But Barb, you're a spiritual mother here. Um, your voice really matters to me personally and to the leadership of the church. And so by default, it should matter to everyone in this room. <laughs> and so I just want to ask you, how, give us an exhortation. What is your word to us on being a healing community, on being a safe place for healing to happen as a church body? How do we do that? How do we embrace that? Okay. Well, I think as a church, we already are. It's clearly a call on this body to be a healing community. And this body has really grown in experiencing the presence of the Holy Spirit, of praying for healing. And I think the next level that God has for this place is for us to be able to be that with each other around our emotional healing. So really becoming a community where we can come in as we are and not feel like we have to check the bad day at the door or our emotions or our depression or our bipolar or whatever it is that we can bring that in with us and know that the people here are going to be able to listen to me, they're going to love me, they're not going to shame me, they're not going to reject me. So if we can become that place where this is the safe of safest place I want to come when I'm feeling sad, when I've had a death, when I've been traumatized. If we do that with each other and we get more emotionally healthy, think of the kind of impact we're going to have on the broader community that are so emotionally wounded and they don't know what to do with it, but they can come here and they can sense freedom and forgiveness and safety and compassion and honor, because we know how to do that. We know how to do that with each other. So if you're not in that kind of relationship 
where someone really knows you, where you can take risk to really be yourself and vulnerable, do that. That's your next step. Find somebody. Get in a group. Get in a house group. Get in one of our long-term classes where you can really get to meet people and dive into relationship mm. because that's where healing occurs. God does tremendous things in healing us individually just between us and him. But I know personally the power of healing, emotional healing that happens in community. So let's do that. Let's be that healing community with each other. That's just going to like close the circle of what God Come has on. for this place for us to be able to do that. So next step, get prayer. If anything that we've talked about today resonates, it's something that you've experienced, that's something easy you can do. Come get prayer. Find a counselor. Um, there's a list in the back that Wilson described. Um, develop friendships. Take that next step that God has for you. Mm. Amen. <laughs> we receive that. Just say it, man. Come on, like, receive that, guys. Receive that word from Barb. Let's receive it for real and, uh, and be that and, and walk that out. Thank you guys so much. Thank you guys. Seriously.